Welcome to another episode of Girl Boss Radio from Panoply. I'm Sophia Amoruso, the founder of NastyGal.com, the author of the New York Times best-selling book Girl Boss, and the author of Nasty Galaxy, a beautiful, fully illustrated, and linen-bound, full-color book with everything from how-tos to a trip inside my house and my closet to Q&As with different girl bosses who inspire me. You can reserve your limited signed copy today on NastyGal.com slash book. On this podcast, I interview a different woman who's carved out a path for herself, who's achieved something to trace her from her first job to how she got to where she is today to extract solid advice for our listeners who are doing the same with their lives. To stay in touch with all things Girlboss, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Girlboss. You can sign up for our newsletter, Girlboss Diary, by going to girlboss.com, and you can follow me at Sophia Amoruso on Instagram, Twitter, and pretty much everywhere, Snapchat. I hope Girlboss Radio helps you achieve your goals, or at the very least, provides some amount of inspiration for you. So please help me achieve my goals. Help us achieve our goals. Help! If you like our podcast, please subscribe in iTunes and share your love on social media. Last week, we made it into the top 50 on iTunes, but aren't there every week? And with your help, we can get there. Yeah, we can. Today's guest is Catherine Minshew, co-founder and CEO of The Muse. But first... Liz Carey's back on the show. Hi. We like to talk about our highs and lows of our week, our girl boss moments, and of course, your girl boss moments. Liz, Hi. thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. This is fun. This is fun. We got a new rug in here. We got a new rug, what? and it sounds a lot better in here. It does. The rug fits kind of perfectly. I was super on a budget with this one. It makes the room feel bigger. Really? Or like better? It feels more intimate. It feels less like an echo chamber. It feels less like a closet. Yeah. Wow. wow. What's happened in the last week? I've learned that I need to start listening. <laughs> mm. Mm. Why? How'd you learn that? Um, you know, I knew I normally have a lesson. I told Shara I have an actual moment. I've had like three situations where I wanted to react out of the gate, and I realized I'm a reactor. Oh, me too. <laughs> I'm a reactor yeah. right away. And I had to really train myself. My son got into some trouble, and my initial instinct was to be like, mm-mm, not my son. Oh, that's <laughs> but, a cool parent. <laughs> no, I mean, it's like in your gut or, you know, if you're whatever. Yeah. But I realized that I have to listen and Two other incidences happened that were boring, but both included me learning how to zip it, <laughs> zip it, zip it, and listen. And um, I need to process and not write back a bunch of crazy talk. So that's my little lesson this week. Cool. That's how about a good you? One. Well, we started the pre-order campaign for Nasty Galaxy. Yeah. That's exciting because we can start to release a little bit of content here and there. Um, I liked you in your spacesuit. Thanks. The spacesuit was fun. That thing was real hot. Yeah. We had to return it. Um, oh. It was like a rental. I, how do you even find yeah. a spacesuit? It was so weird. If you're going to look for one, look in Hollywood because mm-hmm. there's all kinds Especially of- Especially a pink one. Was it pink or no, silver? it's silver. It photographed pink on the cover because right. of the light, but- Oh, that was real gross. Sorry. Uh, well, um, pizza aftermath. I went to a charity poker game. So I normally don't go to charity events and a lot of events are like, oh, hey, famous person, you know, come here mm-hmm. um, and meet famous people. 
and I just really wanted to do it because it was a poker tournament. And yeah. Charlize, who's producing the Netflix show Girl Boss, mm-hmm. is you know it was for her foundation for the Charlize Theron Africa Outreach Project. So it was cool to learn about that. But I realized that I'm not as good at poker as I thought I was. I I have no idea how to play poker. And poker is really only fun with people that you know. It was like a big room of of people and you just kind of got assigned to a table. And it was fun. The food was good. but Tiny hamburgers? um, Yet there were tiny hamburgers. Always a tiny hamburger at those things. Tiny hamburgers, some salad. But yeah, it it was a nice event. But yeah, I'm not very good at poker. I have no idea. I have no idea. Oh I know how to God. play like blackjack, I think. Yeah. Is that even poker? I no. Nope. Not at all. Nope. Nope. Don't know how to play poker. What else? What else? A friend of mine was going into audition for a uh, male part on Girl Boss Today, which I thought was kind of funny. Really? Yeah. That's really funny. I really want this big job. So I'm like going to not jinx myself, but just announce that I really want this job. Yeah. I'm coming up on Wednesday. So. Is that when you record it? Yeah. Okay, cool. So just put your vibes out there. We want Liz to have this show. Get it. We want Liz. So I've just, I stayed in all weekend. Yeah. Which yeah. was weird for me. I don't know what I did this weekend. I feel like I like ran errands. You know, it sucks yeah. when your week is so busy that even if it's like getting your hair fixed or yeah. getting like your face picked Dude. by someone or getting your nails done because they look insane, like <gasps> it's so easy to just make your weekend another list of things to do on your calendar and that's what I did this weekend, and that's normal. I mean, we all have, like, errands and whatever. It's just even when it's supposed to be pampering, it starts to feel like more shit that I have to do. Like, yeah. I just want to sleep for, like, two days. Um, yeah. I would really enjoy that. Same with me. The upkeep now is just by the time I, like, get the nail half-painted, get a facial – Done. We went to our friend's opening, his screening of his new film. We did. That was really good. The Caged Pillows. The Caged Pillows. That was cool. But nothing's as fun when you're not drinking. It really <laughs> it's just not. And it doesn't make me want to drink. It just makes me not want to go to things, even if it's with yeah. my friends, which is – I don't know how to – I drove that night. That. And I feel like oh. literally you left and then everybody wanted to go out. And it's always the nights that you – commit to driving that everybody's having the night of their life and i'm like i'm not having the night of my life because i drove here and i'm in a rental fiat so i just ended up driving everybody around all night in the tiniest car it was like a clown night so i wasn't drinking what else is going on we've been working on the girl boss website we're creating more and more content for girlboss.com and making the newsletter better i'm really excited about that and just working on putting this, I guess we're calling it the rally, the Girl Boss Rally together. Oh, yeah. In January. And I, I have no idea how to do something like this. Yeah, we can just touch our hair. This is all we do. Ooh. So each week we ask our listeners to tweet in and Instagram in their hashtag Girl Boss Moments. And a Girl Boss Moment can be a time of your week where you felt like you were in charge of your own life. And it can be... I gave someone's flushing the toilet. Oh, that toilet is so loud. It's kind of a funny thing. It's like Wendy Williams swatting flies. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh man, I love Wendy. Uh, a girl boss moment is when you felt like you're in control of your life. Um, it could be I gave myself a bubble bath for the 20 minutes that I had free, and it could be I got a promotion or I started my company. There's been some really good girl yeah. boss moments this week. We read yours, so 
Send them to us. Yes. Um, I had a girl boss moment. My girl boss moment was returning the dress that I wore on the cover of Forbes. Oh, you returned. I mean, it was really expensive and yeah. I can never get away with wearing it again. And I just sat in it for a few minutes. Yeah, that's like a stylist I mean, It was pull. so expensive. Yeah. And I didn't have a style. I don't work really do stylists. And yeah. So Where did you get it from? I don't want to say. <laughs> <laughs> I will find out. Uh-huh. I do that all the time, by the way. Oh, I like this one. Britt Simerson says... You go enjoy your drunk nights and sloppy mornings. I'll take my own apartment, career, and constant travel. Airplane emoji, star emoji, check mark emoji. That's Boom. a good one. Yeah. Liz, I didn't <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> I think so. Just got the final product from my shop ordered, and I couldn't be more excited. Tell us what your product is, but we are equally excited for you. Lauren Baker at underscore Lauren Baker. Today I quit my job in entertainment Aww. to pursue working with women affected by domestic abuse. That's, That's a good one. So cool. Subject, girl boss moment. Message, after learning the dudes at my work, I am the only female, made more money than me doing the same job. I sat down my boss and had one of the most difficult conversations of my life and negotiated equal pay and promptly took myself out for a drink after sweating it out at yoga. Hashtag girl boss moment. That's an amazing one. You guys really liked that one on social media. That's a good one. Rose at Chantel Rose decided to make serious progress on website today. Woke up by 6.30 a.m. without my alarm and have been getting it done. That's good. That's good. It means you're going to sleep on time. Yeah, that means you're going to sleep. Petia K. Grady at Petra Grady says, said what needed to be said in a work environment despite feeling so scared that I thought I was going to barf. Hashtag girl boss moment. I feel so scared I'm going to barf. Most of the time. Yeah. So. Oh, I like this one. I'm sorry about your names. At Terry Coltard. Terry Um, Dactyl. (laughs) Girl boss moment. Kicking a less than perfect guy to the curb because a real girl boss never settles for second best. Cool. That's a good one. Perfection. I I can debate perfection, but I do think that if someone's not great for you, you should kick him to the curb. Jesse Fox at Jesse Fox Art says, I opened a business checking account today. Okay, good. Hashtag we are mortar. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> I'm plugging whatever it is. <laughs> Danny at Mission Worldy nearly peed when at Sophia Morosu announced the Girl Boss Summit. Oh my, oh my, oh my. That's oh my, a Girl Boss moment. Oh my, oh my. Jessica. Yellis at the Style Opal says, spent my festival money on an online business course this year, and I'm already reaping the benefits. Boom. Boom. Shakalaka boom. Make your life a festival. Yeah. Um, Andrea Sestarsik says, at Sussy Pants, full-time student, made dean's list while working three jobs now after Europe for a summer study abroad program. Wow, girl. Yeah. Taking no time off. Mm-mm. Kathleen Sedita at count underscore said, between my tax return and overtime, I officially paid off all my debt and even had enough left over to put in my savings. Boom. Nice. Jamie Lee Puskar at Jamie the Jam says, after a painstaking 18-month job search, I finally landed my dream job. Hashtag girlboss moment. Couldn't have done it without. Hashtag girlboss radio inspiration. That's so sweet. I like Jamie the Jam, too. I know. I like that. I think that's it for this week. That's a lot of good stuff, ladies. Well, keep tuning in. Make sure to subscribe to us in the iTunes situation and go to girlboss.com for lots and lots of updates throughout the week. Liz, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Let's get to the interview. We talk about career advice a lot on Girl Boss Radio, so I'm super excited about our next guest, 
Catherine Minshew. She's the co-founder and CEO of The Muse. You may have actually been on their website if you're searching for a job. The Muse is a career development platform which offers a behind-the-scenes look at job opportunities, original career advice from experts, and access to career coaches to get personalized and private career help. Catherine was named to the Forbes 30 at her 30 in media in 2011 and 2012, and she and her co-founders were on Inc. Magazine's 2012 list of 15 women to watch in tech. Catherine, thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. I'm really, uh, I'm really excited to be here. You know, we kick off every podcast with what was your first job? And I, you know, some people talk about their first career job. I am curious just because my first job was a subway sandwich artist. I love um, it. You know, where everybody starts, like what is the crappy little job that you did before you had something that you consider a real job? I guess my first job was a lifeguard at Hamless Swim and Tennis Center um, near where I grew up. It was the local summer pool. And I was just so excited to make money that the fact that I sometimes had to wake up at 6 a.m. to start, you know, open the pool and that I Mm -hmm. made $6.15 an hour was um, all gravy. I was saving up to buy a car, uh, an old car, but a car nonetheless. And uh, I was really excited. Yeah, I would always love swimming. So that lifeguarding felt kind of like the perfect first step. Did you save anyone's life? Uh, I didn't. I actually I had a couple of different lifeguarding jobs all through high school and right before college. And I did once get to pull a little boy out um, of the water. He had been jumping into the shallow side of the pool and he got turned around and jumped. Uh, it was like a like a peninsula that stuck out between a slightly shallower and a slightly deeper part. And he jumped into mm-hmm. the wrong side on accident and oh, just panicked. No. And I, honestly, he he was close to the wall, so he would have been fine. But that was the one time I got to help somebody and you know, it's uh-huh. funny because the second pool that I lifeguarded at, our manager used to pretend to drown just to make sure that we could catch it. So we were constantly running drills, oh but he was about 300 pounds. So that was a little more challenging <laughs> than wow. your average uh, person that was swimming that, that I, would I would run. Have had to I would definitely run in slow-mo if I had to do that. So. <laughs> I always joke with my friends that if we're ever on a boat that um, – I would be the one they'd want to be near if we ever had an accident because I'm not I'm not amazing on land, but I'm definitely really comfortable in the You're water. You're not amazing on land. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I beg to differ. Um, for everyone who's listening, I'd just love for you to tell us about The Muse and what exactly it is. So The Muse is uh, the company I founded four and a half years ago, and we exist to build the most trusted and beloved place for people to navigate their careers. The idea being that modern careers can be really complicated. They can be confusing. There's a lot of things you have to know, both to figure out what it is that you want to do, to go out and get the job that you want, and then to succeed in that job and move up and eventually start the cycle all over again in some cases. And so we built The Muse to help people do that, to give them the advice, the tools, the skills they needed to navigate their career, and if it's appropriate, to connect them with really interesting companies and job opportunities along the way. So a lot of people think of us kind of like a a souped-up monster.com meets um, a personal career coach who's with you every step of the way. Cool. I know you went to college, but it wasn't your plan to start a company really ever. I'm so curious just about what you thought your life was going to look like when you went into college and how that went for you and and how you wound up running a company about <laughs> job searching. You know, I really never thought that I would end up here. But when I look back, a lot of the career moves I made that seemed kind of 
crazy or, or odd at the time. Now, in retrospect, a lot of it just makes sense to me. So my story, I was uh, I grew up in Washington, D.C., and I thought for most of my educational career, so to speak, that I was going to go into the Foreign Service and either work for the U.S. State Department or the United Nations. I was fascinated by the idea of diplomats and secret agents and ambassadors, and I, I you know, so I read sexy. about it. Exactly. Yeah. It's so sexy. When I think back to where that idea came from, I think it was partially that I loved Model United Nations in school and partially that I was absolutely in love with the television show Alias and the protagonist <laughs> that Jennifer Garner played, who was such a boss. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, I thought, well, maybe I'll be like that. And so I studied French and Turkish. I traveled. I majored in international relations. And then, of course, right before I graduated, I had the chance to intern at a U.S. embassy in Nicosia, Cyprus. And I mean, wow, it was it was wow. a great experience, but it was not what I was expecting. And so even though I loved my colleagues and the work that we were doing, I realized that I am way too impatient to work in the State Department um, because, you know, things have to follow diplomatic procedures. There's uh, a lot of things you have to take into consideration other than what is the immediate right answer around uh, negotiation and diplomacy and, and bureaucracy, frankly. And so very quickly, I came to the realization that this dream career that I thought I'd been planning, you know, for, for six plus years for wasn't actually what I wanted. And that was really scary. I went into wow. a bit of a funk where I was I was it's just like asking. devastating. Yeah, it is. It feels like something has been taken, like a piece of clarity or a, or a direction and suddenly you're adrift in a sense. Did you feel like you might have wasted your time? Yes, I definitely felt that way. And that's why I really empathize with people who feel that way now, even though, again, looking back, I'm so grateful for those experiences. At the time, mm -hmm. I felt like I, I had done something wrong. I had wasted. And I think that's where the, the empathy for people who are in the middle of major career decisions first started really hitting me. And luckily, it was, you know, it was not too late to find another job for after I graduated. So I went through a number of different on-campus recruiting programs. I applied to various jobs. I even applied to a master's degree program just because I, I really wasn't sure what I wanted. And I ended up deciding to go into consulting. Um, and so I took a job at McKinsey & Company here in New York. And um, I not learned... Not a bad place. Yeah, it's... it's <laughs> not, not too shabby. <laughs> the prestige of it was something that was that definitely, you know, attracted sort of 22-year-old me. And yet was I that realized, like the House of Lies show? Oh, my goodness. I was just talking about that with my co-founder today. <laughs> we used to sit and watch that show and, and take a drink every time something happened that would never have happened in real life. Okay. Um, that show was about 50% accurate, but at least my consulting career, there was a lot less drama and intrigue and uh, romantic entanglements, to yeah. put it mildly. Ew. I know. <laughs> That's yeah. good. But yeah, anyway, and, and so basically, to, to make a long story short... When I was working as a consultant, I realized I didn't want to stay a consultant for more than the two years that I had signed up for, but I, I didn't know what I did want to do. And I kept looking on job sites, and I was so unbelievably frustrated with how old school, how archaic, how how insufficient most of the tools felt. I mean, you go on, you know, mm -hmm. your classic company's career page, and, and they don't have a lot of information about what it's even like to work there. And then a lot of the job sites were even worse. I remember thinking, I was searching for business strategy director jobs um, on one of the major job boards, and <laughs> there were like 7,000 results. And one of the top three was assistant store manager, 7-Eleven, Secaucus, New Jersey. 
And I was like, again, like I that's not a business strategy job. And I just remember thinking, I can't believe there's something, there's not something better than this. And that's really where the idea for the muse came from, was sitting down with my co-founder, Alex. Um, she and I met at McKinsey and we were polar opposites and best friends. And thinking, what would a really phenomenal career site look like if you built it around the experience of the individual navigating their career and you really took advantage of everything that technology can do today to solve some of the problems with figuring out the right path, the right professional next step, what would that look like? And, you know, one thing led to another and the company was born. So you're the CEO of this really inventive company and people might think you have it figured out, but you've tried so many different things throughout your 20s as well. And the funny thing is that you really can only connect the dots in retrospect, right? Absolutely. You know, at a certain point, you were probably looking at what you had spent your college years doing, thinking, oh my God, I just wasted all of <laughs> all of the, that time. And so just for our listeners who might be trying to understand like what they're doing today, how that adds up to their future, what do you think it was that you did, whether it was at McKinsey or working in international development? Like what things did you learn, maybe other than what you didn't like doing that has helped you I've always thought of careers as being a culmination of all of the skills you learn, experiences you have, and the people that you meet along the way. And so I think through that lens, even though part of me was worried that I was, you know, that I had made these missteps or I had followed the wrong path, another part of me kept saying, Catherine, <laughs> calm down. Mm -hmm. You are learning so much. So think about this in terms of what you've learned from every experience and not whether the exact job or the exact path was right for you. And I think that is so valuable. So for example, within the study of international relations, there's obviously a lot that I think I learned about human behavior and motivation, the psychology of why people make certain decisions. And that, whether whether or not uh, I do anything in political science for the rest of my life, that sort of um, knowledge base I think is incredibly valuable. You know, in, in consulting, there was a lot of focus on hard analytical skills. How do you build an Excel model, create a PowerPoint deck, present to somebody who is, a, you know, a decade and a half more experienced than you and not come out as the total newbie? And not that I'm by any means perfect at those things, but for me, it was really trying to focus on, all right, what am I learning from this experience? What am I good at? What am I not good at? What do I like to get better at? But also, what do I enjoy? I think every work opportunity, um, whether it's part-time, full-time, volunteer, whether it's a great job or a terrible job, is an opportunity to say, what about my day-to-day -day do I enjoy and do I want to do more of? And what is frustrating and do I want to do less of? And if you can keep moving towards the things that you enjoy and ideally make those align with the things that you're good at, um, you're going to end up in a good place, even if it takes a little bit more time than you would like. So tell me about the early days at the Muse. When did this light bulb go off and what were the first things that you did and you know how did you afford to start a business? I mean, the early days at the Muse were hard. They were so hard. I look back and part of me thinks that I was crazy to keep going at some times, given everything it felt like was stacked against us. So, you know, to answer the question about how we made it work financially, I knew when I had the consulting job that I didn't want to stay in consulting forever. And so I figured out essentially how to arrange my life so that I was living on substantially less than my paycheck. And I just put everything I could into savings. And I mean, it, it was tough as sometimes I would go out for drinks with my friends from the consulting job or from other friends. And, you know, I would get tea or a Coke instead of a cocktail, or I would get one cocktail when other people would have two or three. It was just everything I thought to myself, if I want to have the freedom 
to set off on my own and do something a little scary and, and big and, and brave, then I've got to have as much financial cushion. Um, and so I looked at it as, as how much can I save to give me that freedom? And I ended up, when I left my job to jump into startups, I had about $25,000 in a savings account. And I ended up making that money last for, gosh, about a year and a half, uh, maybe a little bit more. And paying for a lot of the early business expenses. And we tried, we tried so hard to keep our expenses low. I bought the first URL, uh, thedailymuse.com. Now we're just themuse.com. But our first URL was thedailymuse.com. I negotiated it down from, I think they wanted $10,000. And we was like, oh, I only have 300. And I think we ended up settling on, um, $1,800, which again was coming from my bank account. And that was. Now that's a negotiation yeah. if I ever heard one. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's funny. I thought if they looked me up on LinkedIn and knew who I was, even though I was young, you know, that they might look at some of the past jobs I had and, and think that they could charge me a lot of money. So I created a new Gmail alias using uh, my first and my middle name and like basically the name of, um, I think it was 2012 or 2013. And so I, I never said that I was a student, but I sort of spoke very young and used this Gmail to kind of try and give them the impression that I did not have a lot of money, which in fairness was true, but it was because uh -huh. I was starting a business, not yeah. because... That's um, a total trick. Buying a website, if you're going to buy a <laughs> website, do not write from your email address. Just make one up and just be like, hi, I'm a little dude in a box. Can I give you a few hundred dollars for this thing? Like, we all know it's not worth anything. You show People up price. in a nice car, good luck haggling. Exactly. Like as, People price based on what they think you can pay. Oh my God, it's a nightmare. Is that a problem for you now? Do you feel like people know that since you guys have raised venture capital, which I want to get into, do you get proposals from people and they're like, that will be $300,000, please? <laughs> you know, Is that we do sometimes, but I think we're so scrappy at our core that people mm -hmm. usually figure out that's not going to fly. I mean, we've still set it up so that um, I think like until we raised our Series A, for example, my co-founder and I made less than almost everyone else on the Muse team. And it's mm -hmm. because, you know, we had this ethos where if we're going to ask people to be lean and be scrappy and, you know, conserve capital, then we should live that and, and you know, and take the hit as much as or more than anybody else. And even though now we've raised a fairly substantial amount of, of money from VCs, I think it's still important that we run the business in a more thoughtful fashion. And the way I see it yeah. is, again, I mean, money is optionality. And the more of it you save, the bigger risks you can take, the longer you can go uh, while you mm -hmm. wait and see whether something pays off. Because the Muse wasn't an overnight success by any means. We had mm -hmm. years of, you know, blood, sweat, and ramen, like really tough times mm -hmm. before we kind of hit that spark. And I think that being careful with capital, with cash, in my mind, has always been buying yourself that time to really see if something takes off. So you had your $25,000. How did you get the Muse off the ground? Um, our very first website was really basic. My uh, co-founders and I found a WordPress template that we liked, and uh, we oh paid God. a friend of mine <laughs> to modify it and make it look sort of a little bit custom so it could do what we wanted it to do. And we were publishing career advice, and we started putting our first job listings on the site. But, I mean, it was really rough. It was early days, and I was out there pitching and pitching and trying to raise capital, and I was getting turned down four to six times a day. 
I'm not even joking. I would have, you know, a 10 a.m. coffee meeting and then a noon lunch and then a 2 p.m. and a 3.30 p.m. and a 5 p.m. And then sometimes I would even be meeting people for drinks if they didn't have time during the day. And I was just pitching my heart out, trying to tell people the vision for what the muse could be. And I was just getting just no's across the board. And some of it was that, you know, the the vision for what we wanted to build was different from that first website. People would look at the first website and they were like, this isn't very impressive to me. Like, of course mm-hmm. it's not impressive. We, we spent like five dollars. <laughs> it's a WordPress know. theme. Exactly. <laughs> it was early. It was the it was the V1. Mm-hmm. But it was hard, I think, for some people to look at the V1 in all of its sort of ugly duckling glory and see the vision that we had in our heads for what it could be. And mm-hmm. I also think that early on, I wasn't always as confident and as direct in communicating what the muse could be. It was challenging for me to look people in the eye and say, no, you're wrong. You don't understand our demographic. And I mean, not only that, but we were at the beginning, the muse was targeting not only young professionals of all uh, ages, genders, et cetera, but we were explicitly focused on women. And that led a whole nother element of complexity into those early investor pitches when, you know, sometimes people would look at our site and they'd look at me and they'd say, do you really think that uh, your users are going to keep using this when they, you know, turn 30 and, you know, have babies and really, oh I mean, God. most women quit thinking about their career then. It was like, um, oh do you do you know a lot of women? I had people tell me, you know, don't you think that women in the big cities might like this, but most women aren't really into this kind of stuff, this kind of stuff meaning having a career that they like. And again, oh I just remember God. looking at these people and thinking, what? No. are you serious? But No, it's insane. And these are the decision makers. I know. It's infuriating. But you know, it made me more motivated because totally. I was like, you know, watch me. yeah, watch me. Yeah. Screw yeah. you. I'm going to build yeah. it. And then you're going to have to look at it and say, I guess I completely missed it. Yeah. And so many people miss it. I mean, I remember this. I mean, Nasty Gal was like profitable and venture capital started crawling out of the woodwork in like, <laughs> you know, 2010, 2011, 2012. And it wasn't until 2012 that we took money. And it was because our investor understood what we were doing and didn't ask insane questions. I don't even know what they were. They were just so absurd. And the only women that these people know are like their wives, which is fine. Their wives are probably awesome women. But if their wife shops anthropology, they don't understand it. Another Mm -hmm. one asked my um, COO at the time if I have a spending problem. And it's like, are you kidding me? I built a $28 million (laughs) business at that time out of $200 and had like no debt. What's wrong with you? And then when I went to go write Girl Boss, I met with editors. I met with people who could potentially be the editor of that book. I had written a little proposal and they had read it. And so I took meetings and these are mostly women even in the publishing world. So many of them were like, "Mm, does your girl, does she really like want a business book? Do they they even read books? Like, I don't think they read books. (laughs) And you're just like, you fucking idiots. And so anyway, oh, you know man. when you find the right people. But it's so interesting just to see how far off the mark the decision makers can be. And it's only yeah. more confidence building, right? It is. I was going to say it shows that you've identified something massive that mm-hmm. most of the powers that be have just completely overlooked. And I think mm-hmm. that's where some of the most exciting businesses come from. But, man, it can be frustrating getting there when you have totally. to deal with people that – not only don't see it, I mean, that's something that I think we can, we've all been there, but people that are actively pushing back against your mm-hmm. vision for a piece of the world. 
So when did Y Combinator enter the picture? I know that you talked to a lot of venture capitalists, and, and at some point, Y Combinator became involved, who, you know, if our listeners don't know, is an incubator that's invested and helped launch companies like Airbnb, Dropbox, and Reddit. Yeah, so we were accepted to Y Combinator in November of 2011. And I have to say, I I was so overwhelmed when they called and said that we were in that I started crying. Um, it was amazing. So I'll set the stage mm-hmm. for you. We had gotten down to the last of my savings. Uh, we had one employee, Adrian, who's phenomenal. She's still uh, she's our editor-in-chief and runs all of our editorial content now. But at the time, we were paying her out of our bank account. And I told her when I hired her, I'm going to be totally honest with you, I only have enough money to pay you for about eight to 10 weeks, but I believe I can get more. I know that there's a business here. And, you know, I, I look back and part of me thinks she was crazy, but she said, all right, I'm in. And I said, I, I promise I will always be transparent and honest with you about where we are. And so she joined and suddenly we had an obligation every month to meet this paycheck, which, um, you know, it's, it's one thing to pay your own rent and your own food, but adding this on top of it, I felt such a sense of responsibility. And so I was mm-hmm. out there pounding the pavement, you know, hands out, please, sir, can I have some funding? <laughs> Trying to find <laughs> our first investors. And I was just, no, no, no. And we gotten at that point, well, the time we got into Y Combinator, we actually had gotten two people said, yes, but yes, I will invest if you can find a couple other investors, if you can fill out the round. Yes, and. and. Exactly. Yes, and. (laughs) Yes, and. Mm -hmm. And you know what? It's not quite the same as a table-pounding, unqualified yes, but it's pretty good. And so Mm -hmm. uh, we almost didn't apply to Y Combinator. I, uh, I submitted the application at the last minute, about an hour before the deadline, and when they said that they would interview us, my co-founders and I were just high-fiving. We uh, did mock interviews. We prepped. We actually worked ourselves so hard that on the plane out to California to interview, uh, my co-founder, Alex, passed out in the back of the plane going to get water from the stewardesses. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, actually, I, I was sleeping because we did not get enough sleep Girl back boss then. moment. Yes. And, <laughs> and I woke up to this panicky announcement over the loudspeaker, you know, excuse me, is there uh, a doctor on board? We have a, a woman on the ground. And is, is there a doctor? And I look back and it's like her legs sticking out from the, you know, the, the, the flight attendant oh area God. in the back. Anyway, she was totally fine. But we from that moment, we're like, all right, you know what? No more prepping. No more late nights. Like we're just going to go into this interview and be ourselves and give it our best. And we did. Um, and they called that same day and said, we'd like to invite you to be part of the program. And it came with our first investment. It was a $170,000 investment in the business. No strings wow. attached. I just started crying. I was like, all right, this is How this does, is what we need. Amazing. This How is does it. that work? Do they put a valuation on the business? So or they just say, here's this 170 grand that is like will be convertible in your first round at yeah. whatever valuation that is. So it's it's actually some of both. Y Combinator gives uh, – it's a slightly different now. I think in our case it was about 20 grand, but it depends on the number of founders. So they give um, a flat amount just for, for participating in YC and mm-hmm. they take a percentage of the company. So mm-hmm. I think it ranges between 2 and 8%, 2 and 7%, something like that. That's um, tiny. Yes. And when you're that small, what you really care about is are we going to make it or not? Yeah. And so I was happy mm-hmm. to give over that percentage because it's a really incredible program. So mm-hmm. Y Combinator, they give you this 
20 grand investment directly. They offer you on the phone as part of the acceptance. You know, this is what the what the offer would be. We were like, yes, we're in. <laughs> Don't take it away. We sign <laughs> up. And then the 150,000 is a convertible note, which means it converts into your next round. Okay, so I it. think it's a bit different now. I think it may only be 80 or 100. But when we went through, it was that we were the winter 2012 batch, got in November of 2011. And it was 150 from these other investors. And that can take you a pretty far when you're yeah. small and you're scrappy. And so it, that capital allowed us to hire, you know, our, our first engineers. We hired Adrian, our, our kind of first employee number one, got a little pay bump. Her her mm-hmm. salary was secured. It was, it was such a relief. And mm-hmm. it really let us focus on, all right, let's grow this thing. Let's build the product and the company that we've always wanted to create. And it's tough because you can't build it all at once. It's the classic Rome wasn't built in a day. So we had to take baby steps. You know, we had to still stay lean and run experiments, but it let us get that first big push started. Mm -hmm. And so did you hire your first employees through the Muse? Mm, we did. Um, well, we <laughs> hired we hired through the Muse, and then we also were able to post on a site called Hacker News, which Y Combinator uh, runs. And so that was also really helpful. So between the Muse and Hacker News, we got our first crew. We definitely made a couple of misfires on the hiring front at the beginning, but even someone who runs a career site has to learn some of those lessons for themselves. So uh, by the time – it's interesting because our, our current – Employees, we've got a bunch of the people that started with us early. You know, our our CTO, Yusuf, joined us in uh, summer of 2012, along with Anna, who's our senior front-end engineer. And it's like seeing the company grow and, and seeing them grow with it and being, you know, this sort of cohort and this crew and this team from the early days to now, it's it's wild. It's probably one of my favorite things about seeing the business grow is, is having the original core of people that were there at the beginning and, yeah. and – continuing to see that play out. Catherine, you have recently launched something called Coach Connect, which I think is really interesting because I know you publish information about resume tips and everything else, but sometimes we need a little bit more hand-holding. Can you tell us about Coach Connect? Yeah, it's part of the site that I'm so excited about because we just launched it a few months ago and it feels like it's the final, it's one of the final pieces of the puzzle. And the idea is that, as you said, most people can get great advice from their networks, from themuse.com, but some people needed a bit of extra help. And so what we did is we went through all of our career experts, hiring managers, uh, leadership management, public speaking coaches, and we found the best ones and we put them on the Muse. And so now we uh, we allow users to set up time to book appointments with them. And uh, it's been pretty exciting. I mean, we've had over a thousand people use the product in the last, uh, gosh, month or two alone. We have hundreds of reviews and the average is 4.9 out of 5, which makes me really feel like, um, like something's got to be working. But I, I think it's probably one of the most motivational things to me to read some of the comments people leave about how the right piece of advice, the right coach, the right experience at the right time can really help get them around a career problem or or accelerate them into that big next step. I mean, you're talking to people all the time about the workplace. You're talking to companies about it and you're talking to prospective employees. What makes a great workplace? What are people looking for today? Individual people's motivations are so different that I often tell companies it's better to figure out who you are and be excellent at that versus Mm -hmm. trying to be everything to everyone. So, you know, broadly speaking, a lot of the individuals that are looking for their next job or their career on the muse, they care about having a creative work environment where they have ownership over 
over something and they have some sort of agency or, or ability to really execute that job in the way that they see fit, a lot of um, our users are looking for some form of flexibility. So I think the, the days of old where you had to be in the office at 9.01 a.m. on the dot mm-hmm. are moving out and people really prioritize having a bit of flexibility in their working hours. Obviously, environments that focus on growth and professional development are highly prized, not only by millennials, but by all of our users. So I love when a company goes out there and says, we invest in training, we invest in growth, we're going to help you be world-class at your skill set, because ultimately, I think that's such a win-win for both sides. So that's a a big driver that we see of, of what makes a company a really great place to work. So you talk to 6 million people a month about their careers and provide advice. What do you look for when you're hiring somebody? What's the kind of person or resume who stands out to you? I love seeing people who have a really clear and compelling story. It doesn't matter if their career has been a little bit of a zigzag or they've changed fields, but I love people who can really put the pieces together and say, this is who I am. This is what I love to do. These are the skills that I bring to the table. I love people who can make it clear why they care about this job or this opportunity. I think it's such a turnoff to a hiring manager when someone just wants a job, any job, or when they're too unfocused. It's really helpful when I know why somebody wants to work at the Muse or why they really love sales or operations or whatever it is that that it is they do. And finally, I think it's important. I think the, the smartest candidates will figure out what it is that they're most proud of that makes them most distinctive and put that front and center, whether it's making sure that it's the top section on their resume, whether it's making sure that they have numbers to back up their achievements and that they put those Again, on their resume, they bring those up in the interview. You know, it's much more impressive to know that somebody increased donations by 2x to a charitable never or had a 17% increase in, you know, XYZ than just that they worked on it or they were responsible for it or they made it better. Anywhere that someone can tell me a story about how they themselves came in and made a difference, that's so exciting to me Mm -hmm. as a founder, as a business owner, um, and as someone that's going to work with that person. How do you think about friendship and working relationships, you know, especially with an early team? Do you consider yourself family or do you have a healthy amount of distance with the people that you've brought on and, you know, manage directly even? It's a mix of both. I'm very close to all of the early Muse folks. We've been through so much together. We have seen each other through good times and bad But I also think that some distance is really helpful. And so, for example, we're really big on everyone who's part of the Muse having lives outside of work. And so we don't do a ton of evening events because we assume that people may want to have other friends or family or hobbies or social activities or really whatever it is that they want. But I think, Mm -hmm. you know, that there's sometimes a culture in startups of we're all together all the time. And that may work for some people. But for us, we wanted to make sure that it was really possible to have a life outside of work. So I would say that there's flexibility in that distance, which lets us all be sort of our own individual whole selves separately. But -hmm. when we come together as a team, we're really close. And I think that's a big part of our success. Mm -hmm. So Catherine, every week I ask our listeners to tweet in and Instagram in hashtag girl boss moment. And so a girl boss moment can be, it's basically the time of your week that you felt like, you owned your life. Being a girl boss isn't just about being an entrepreneur or being the boss of other people. It's about 
being an entrepreneur of your life, about being the boss of your own life. And that can mean bossing yourself into the bathtub with some bubbles because that's what it took for you to feel like you're in control of your life. Or it can be, you know, raising money for your startup or just getting a promotion. What was your girl boss moment in the last week? Oh, at the very end of last week, I got wildly overbooked. I realized that I was supposed to be in two different places at once, and I needed to answer five questions, and six people were trying to talk to me. And it was just one of those moments where, you know, part of me was like, I give up. You can't do it. You know, it's like your brain is like meltdown, meltdown, meltdown. And instead, I was just like, you know what? I've got this. And I just sort of switched into like focus zone. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I was like talking and I was using Slack and I was texting and I just, I feel like I just did 18 things. I solved them all um, in a fairly short amount of time while I was in transit between two of the different meetings. And all of a sudden I got to a point where I was like, everything worked out. Everyone's been answered. There's yeah. a very brief moment of calm, which is very rare in my days. And of course there's, you know, 300 emails in my inbox and a million things that need to be done later today and a lot of that stuff. But for just a moment, I felt like I handled it. I did everything that I needed to do. I didn't let it handle me. You pulled it off. Exactly. And um, that was a good moment. That was a good moment. Cool. Catherine, thank you so much for coming on Girl Boss Radio. This has been amazing. Where can we find you and where can we find the muse? Well, you can find me and the muse on Twitter. I'm at Kamin at K-M-I-N, and the muse is at Daily Muse on Twitter, so D-A-I-L-Y-M-U-S-E. Um, you can find the website at themuse.com, T-H-E-M-U-S-E.com. I would love for people to tweet their thoughts, to write into the the site. There's a contacts page on the muse. We answer almost every single email that we get, and cool. um, it's just, you know, I love hearing where people are in their career and constantly working to figure out how we can help people figure out where they want to go. Absolutely. Cool. Thank you so much, Catherine. Thank you. I had a blast. (laughs) All right. That was another episode of Girl Boss Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back next week. Our producer is Cheryl Morris. Thanks also to Kristen Meinzer, Laura Mayer, and Andy Bowers at Panoply. And thanks also to the band Phases for our theme song and my husband, Same Animal is his new band name, Joel DeGraff for our interstitial jam. I'm Sophia Amoruso. I'll talk to you guys next week. 